Good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to kind of be dancing around this chapter in a couple of different places as we talk about the Lord's Prayer. And I got to chuckle because, you know, it's kind of a dangerous thing to talk about prayer um, because as Gary and I preach and teach, it's our passion that you would experience a uh, a vibrant prayer, prayer life. And it's our prayer that we as a community would experience a vibrant prayer life here in the community because that's what churches do, right? We pray. Well, here's the crazy thing is that we can preach all day long, but unless you two participate with us in this, it kind of falls flat. In fact, it doesn't just fall flat. It's actually more harmful than if we didn't talk about prayer at all because now we got a lot of information about prayer, but it's not connecting anywhere to our hearts. So we have to kind of tear down some preconceived ideas about prayer and then go to scripture and rebuild our understanding of prayer. You with me? Okay. So, uh, hey, Brad, I see you, man. Good morning. How you doing this morning? Hey, would you mind coming on up for a second? Come on, come on up. <clears throat> yeah, do you guys know Brad Barnes? You do? You... Yeah, come on up. Y'all, y'all don't know Brad? Hey, Brad, I don't know if that's on or not. Hey, Is that on? Okay. Hey, hey. Woo. Woo. Hot mic. Did you know I was going to call you up here, Brad? No. Um, are you kind of surprised that you're up here on the stage? You want to pray for us? Uh, no. Oh. No. Uh, I don't want you to pray for us either. Uh, how you doing this morning? I'm good. Good. All right. What are you doing this afternoon? Sleeping. Great. That's very <laughs> oh. holy. Very holy. <laughs> you can ask my wife if that's true or not. All right. Great. Hey, thanks, Brad. See you later, bro. Good game. That's prayer. No, really, that's prayer. See, prayer is not my tool to prove to God that I love him or that I'm serious to him. It's not, prayer isn't that that genie in the bottle that if you do it enough, it's actually going to produce what you want. Prayer is not this secret sauce that we've said before that if you pray a lot, you get extra tickets in God's gift shop that you can go in and kind of spend it where you want. Prayer isn't like if you fast more, then somehow or another that impresses everybody here and you get more like spiritual creds. Prayer is not me proving to God that I love him. Prayer is a response to God's invitation to experience his love for us. Let me say it again. Prayer, in Revelation chapter three, it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he's talking to the church. Whoever opens that door, I will come in and dine with him. And prayer is always, always, always a response to the Spirit's move on our lives to what I just did with Brad. Hey, Brad, how you doing? Great. Prayer. And if we don't understand that, then we're going to try to become these self-disciplined prayers. There is discipline that plays a role in prayer, but it doesn't play the initial role in prayer. The initial role of prayer is responding to the invitation of God. I can tell you a lot of stories about that, but I'll tell you this. Uh, It's going to mess you up. I mean, it's really going to mess you up. Like yesterday, I decided to go over to my son's house unannounced during dinner time. I know. When was the last time you knocked on somebody's door and they had no idea you were coming over? Have Have you done that ever? It was exciting. So I walked in. I knocked on the door. 
I waited, I waited, I waited. I knew what was going on on the other side. They're looking at each other going, who is that? What are they selling? And when they opened up the door, I immediately realized I've walked into a situation. Because Sarah, my daughter-in-law, she's looking beautiful. She's all dressed up. My son, you know, he's dressed in the nines. And there's a babysitter kind of standing in the court of the kitchen. And I realized the kids are eating dinner and mom and dad are trying to get out of the house to go on a date. And who walks in? And what happens? The kids go nuts, you know? And like in two minutes, we're on the kitchen floor wrestling and just tickling and laughing. They can't believe their luck that Papa came over. One was on my back. I was cadling another in my arms. And it was just pure chaos. And I could just see in Sarah and Trent's face, we are not getting out of here. We are not getting out of here. That's prayer. Let me tell you what, when, when you begin to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you begin to engage into a prayer life, what you're engaging into, I know, man, I, we just say it so much, I don't want it to lose power. You're engaging in a father who loves you so much that he dares you to believe and trust his love for you. He said, you can't even imagine the height, the width, the depth, and the length of his love for you. Because if you could, scripture says it will fill you to the very fullness of God. That's Jesus. See, you know, I'll give you an example. In Ephesians chapter 6, maybe you've read this passage. If you've ever been in Sunday school as a little kid, you've heard of the armor of God. Have you heard of the armor of God where Paul's in prison and he's got this, this Roman soldier next to him and he's using this, this illustration of how this Roman soldier is dressed to kind of encourage the church in Ephesus. And he says, church, put on the belt of truth. And then what, what was the chest plate of what? Yes, amen, all right. And then, uh, what is the, the shoes of? <clears throat> no, come on, church, is the gospel. You know, the readiness of the gospel. And then the sword is what? Truth. Truth, or the word. And then the helmet of? Salvation. So he's got this whole thing down, you know, truth, righteousness, salvation, the word of God, the gospel, and he's got this image painted where we are suited up for armor. And what do you do when you're suited up for armor? You wait for the word charge, you know, and you go running into battle. But that's not what happens here. When Paul paints this picture of us being suited up in the armor of God, look what he says. Pray. Pray. Now that you're suited up, be with your Jesus. Be with him. It even says this, pray in the spirit. Do you know what that means? You need to know what that means. It's an important part of prayer. It says pray on all occasions. Like pray all the time with all kinds of prayers. Do you know the different kinds of prayers? Like it's challenging us now that we're suited up with the armor of God Use that armor now to humble yourself and to be with the Jesus that is knocking on the door of your life. Then he goes, hey, guys, pray for me. Because Paul understood the power of prayer. It's not just being with Jesus, but as we're with Jesus, he has given us this tool called prayer that actually transforms things. And let me tell you what it transforms. The first thing that prayer does, that wasn't bad, uh, is me. Prayer first changes me. And then it does this other thing 
it changes my actions. And then with those two changes, along with the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes the world. So you ready? Ready to dig in the Lord's Prayer? This is a long intro. So the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. We've talked about those the last two weeks. This week, we're going to talk about your kingdom come. Now he goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So let's back up. Our Father who are in heaven or art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What does that mean? Why does Jesus want us to pray that the kingdom of God would come? To me, it seems kind of hard to understand that. And I, I got to confess to you, I really wrestled with this and have for years. Like, what does that mean, your kingdom come? Because, I mean, it kind of feels like when I study the Gospels, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. That when, when Christ was born into this world, the second member of the Trinity, God in the flesh, and he lived this perfect life, he was saying in his teaching, the kingdom of God has come. Jesus is here. He goes, God's kingdom has arrived. And when he went to the cross and then he rose again, he began to give birth to his kingdom here on this earth through the church and in the church. So I know that the kingdom of God has already come in the birth of Christ. It's confirmed through the death and resurrection of Christ and living itself out in us and then is coming again at the end of time when Christ will return and make all things new. So the kingdom already came. The kingdom is here. Hello, kingdom. And the kingdom is coming. So why do I pray the kingdom comes? The kingdom already came. It's kind of like, hey guys, let's all stop for a moment. Let's pray that the Denver Nuggets make it into the finals. Is anybody here a basketball fan? I am not, all right? I have not watched a basketball game this entire year. I can honestly say I quickly pass by that channel every time I land on it. No interest, but could somebody confirm with me, are the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs right now? Yes. How are they doing? They're doing good. So let's pray they make the playoffs. That seems silly. Like, they're already in the playoffs. Why would we pray that they would be in something that they're already in? Why would we pray, God, your kingdom come when it already has come, that nothing I'm going to do is stopping it? Nothing we're going to pray or not pray is going to keep it from coming in its fullness at the end of time. Nothing. This seems like a complete waste of prayer. Let me close this in prayer and let us come to the communion table. Do you ever feel like sometimes the, the Bible is like jello that hasn't really hardened enough? And every time you try to grasp it, it just kind of squirts through your fingers. And it just seems like, I just can't understand this. Well, you're in good company. Because that's true about all of us. That's why truth is not something that's discovered. Truth is something that's revealed. And what I'm about to share with you, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in this room right now, it's going to be good information, but it's really not going to bring any transformation. Like, you'll know about it, but you won't know it. 
Does that make sense? So let's go to a couple of passages in the Gospels that talk about the kingdom that may be familiar to you. One is in Matthew chapter 6, the very chapter that the Lord gives us the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says this, seek first the kingdom of God. Have you heard that before? Seek first the kingdom of God. I think there's some songs back in the 70s about it, you know. He's challenging us to seek the kingdom of God. But listen to how he's challenging us to seek the kingdom of God. In verse uh, 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Don't worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more, more than food and the body more than clothes. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What I want you to notice here is that Jesus is challenging you and me to seek the kingdom of God counter to living a life of worry. Living a life of pursuing, where's my next drink going to come from? Where's my food going to come from? Where's my body going to be? What am I going to wear? All the things that we wrap worry around, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Counter to that, seek the kingdom of God. Hang on to that. Because in Luke chapter 12, there's another passage where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And he says, uh, Father, your father is pleased. It brings him pleasure. It makes him happy to give you the kingdom of God. In fact, it says that we have acquired the kingdom of God. Look at verse 32. This is Luke chapter 12, 32 for future reference. Or if you're a speed Bible flipper, you can go there real quick. Do not be afraid, little flock. Let me read that again. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Then he says this, hang on, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, treasures in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus in Matthew said, hey, seek first the kingdom of God as opposed to worry. And in Luke, it says, do not be afraid. Seek the kingdom of God. Jesus himself is now saying that there is a war going on in this room right now between the kingdom of God and the way that I approach life. In fact, uh, maybe you've read the story of the rich young ruler where this guy, he was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. Yeah, and we don't know what kind of ruler, but he was a guy that had power, he had possessions, he had position, like it was all working for him. And he came to Jesus and he said, how do I get into heaven? And Jesus says, really simple, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And the story is the guy went, around, went away very sad because he had many things. What happened in that story was Jesus says, kingdom of God. And the rich young ruler goes, kingdom of me. And he put them on the scale and he began to weigh them. And he goes, okay. I don't think this is a fair trade. I don't think it's a fair trade for me to give up my kingdom where I've acquired so much position, power, reputation, things, opportunities. You want me to give all that up to pursue your kingdom? Not a fair trade. 
Oswald Chambers, he said these words. Immediately we look at these words of Jesus and find them the most revolutionary statement human ears have ever listened to. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We argue in exactly the opposite way. Even the most spiritually minded of us. But I must live. I must make so much money. I must be clothed. I must be fed. The great concerns of our lives is not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of us. Jesus reverses the order. That's why this, this is so dangerous. It's a dangerous prayer. Because when we say to Jesus, thy kingdom come, we're saying, thy kingdom come to me. Wake me up, Jesus. And I'm not sure I want to be awake. It's like that moment in the Matrix, you know, where Morpheus looks at Neo and he's got the two pills. Remember the scene? And he goes, hey, take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and you believe whatever you want to believe, which would be easy to do today. Or you can take the red pill and you stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And we're all going, take the red pill or the movie is over in 10 minutes. Why? Because we all know that we're made to wake up. We all know that we hunger for a life of meaning and purpose. We all know that our body, our minds, our souls, our emotions, all of them are screaming for life. And Jesus comes in and goes, I am bringing life. In fact, I am life. But we get scared and we worry because we're afraid when Jesus comes in and he knocks on the door of my life, he's going to mess up all my plans. Yes, I did put myself in the position of Jesus in that story <laughs> because it's my children. And I want them to know that I am Jesus in their lives. No, I'm joking. It's kind of scary because I want to minimize it. I really want to. Do, do you know anybody that went to go see uh, Taylor Swift at the stadium? Some of you went, didn't you? Some of you went, I, I can, you dressed up, you know, I get it. I, I, have you talked to anybody that went to go see Taylor Swift? Especially the ones who went and stayed in the rain on Sunday night. And uh, you don't hear them talk about the rain other than to talk about, oh, yeah, we, we were there, we were in the rain, you know. And it was, you talk to people, it was a spectacular event. Like just, people talk about it. And I have actually heard these words. It was a life-changing event. <laughs> Don't laugh. I've heard people say that. And here's what's crazy. I love those kind of moments. I love them. I live for them. I'm sorry that I was No, I'm not. All right. But I know what it's like to miss and not be there. I have, you know, that whole thing, fear of missing out, you know. But let me tell you, we do that spiritually. We, we come to church and we want the church to produce something that's spectacular. We want, we want an event here. We want the sermon to be great. We want like the music to be great. We want everybody to treat us great. Like we want that. We want to go to retreats that are life-changing. We want to go to conferences where we come back and we're not the same people that we were, even though we are. We want to go 
to things that we can talk about and we want to attach Jesus to them and we want to go to like Christian concerts and we leave going, I'll never be the same even though I will be the same, you know? Like we want that. That's not what we're talking about when the kingdom comes. We also love uh, great theology. Some of you are brilliant theologians. That you love getting into the nitty gritty of all this stuff about theology and, you know, reform theology and other competitive theologies. And what did Martin Luther say? Some of you just love getting into that kind of stuff. Some of you have watched every video of the Bible Project and you're convinced these are the greatest teachers that ever walked the earth. And they may be. I love them too. That's not what we're talking about. Listen to what Paul said. This is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He said, I consider everything a loss. Now, what he's capturing is Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 12, where the kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God, over and against everything else. And he's stating it personally here. I consider everything a loss compared, compared to something. And it's not compared to experiences It's not compared to great knowledge about the Bible. It's not compared to, I go to a great church. He says, I consider everything a loss, everything compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom sake I have lost all things. See, when prayer, when Jesus is knocking on the door and inviting me to himself, He's inviting me to experience a love from my Father that changes me forever because he's inviting me to himself. One of my seminary uh, professors, a guy named R.C. Sproul, you should read his stuff, it's great. And uh, he was just this bigger-than-life character and always running his hands through his glorious hair, you know? I mean, back then, he had big hair, He's gone on to be with Jesus now, and he has no hair. But then he had it. And he used to talk about prayer, and he says, I want you to imagine, you know, that you're on a small boat in the ocean, and you have an anchor in that boat, and to that anchor is a rope, and you throw that anchor to the shore of a small island, and it takes hold on the beach, and you take the rope in your hands, and you pull with all your strength. Yes? And he goes, what moved, the island or you? Well, us, that's prayer. That it anchors us to the will of God and it pulls us to him so that we can experience him. And let me tell you how we experience him. And some of you have not had this experience. This is the invitation today. Jesus is knocking on that door. We see him. Because Jesus made you that when you see, you cannot pretend like, well, you can't, but you cannot pretend like you did not see. It's something powerful within us. It is one thing for me to see starving kids on television. It's another thing for me to walk out and see my neighbors who I know their kids' names and see them starving and just go to work. I can't because I see. In fact, some of you know this story. Jessica Jackley, she was in college and she had been raised in the church and she had learned from the church that a part of what we do as humans on this planet and as members of the kingdom of God is we care for the poor. 
And she really wrestled with that because she didn't know, what does that mean? Because Jesus said the poor will always be with us. So we can't eradicate poverty. Like, that's not our job. And so she went on a search to try to understand that. And she, I think, went to Uganda and a couple other countries over in Africa and to meet the poor. And what she discovered blew her away. What she met, she didn't meet people that were looking for a handout. She met people that were working hard, that had dignity, that enjoyed life, that were full of life. These were beautiful people living in situations that were horrible, and they just needed a help. So her and her brother said, hey, let's come up with this plan. Let's take a bunch of pictures of these goat herders that we've become friends with. Let's send pictures to our families and our small group of friends, and let's ask them if they would consider, after reading their story and seeing their pictures, if they would consider doing a microloan to these farmers. And we're talking like $25, maybe at the height $250. And that micro loan would be given to them and there would be a season where they could use that to build their family business and then pay back the loan. So I came up with this great idea. They, they had been studying micro loans. Well, they sent pictures to their family and to their friends and everybody invested, everybody. It was like they couldn't believe it. And what they all kept saying, as soon as we saw we cared. And as soon as we knew you cared and this put a story in our heart, we cared. It was easy to give, but they didn't give. They loaned. So after understanding this connection between seeing and caring, they started a small little micro loan business and called it Kiva. And maybe you've heard of this because now they have 4.7 million borrowers around the world in 80 different countries they have 2.2 million lenders. And to date, they've loaned out in microloans of 25 to I think max is $500. They've loaned out $1.9 billion. And get this, this is what's most astounding. You know what the repay, repay rate is? To date, 96.3%. Because they captured the power of seeing. And what I'm saying to you is, when we come to Jesus, the first thing that happens is we see him and we are changed. He changes us. And when he changes us, it messes with us. Because his kingdom comes in and competes with my kingdom. And I got kingdoms, trust me. There are things that I bow to and worship and declare king over my life, like my reputation. Like have your reputation tarnished and see how much that messes with you or what other people think about you or maybe money. Are you kidding me? I love me some money. I love me some me. Your free time, your entertainment, getting in shape, all these things, they're great things, but they make lousy kings. And when Jesus comes in, he begins to push against those things to declare himself king and to wake us up. You know what's crazy is when he does that, we immediately respond with something's wrong. You have any struggles in your relationships? No. <laughs> it's because you don't know anybody. Because if you know anybody, you got struggles in relationships. Because they're in a relationship with you. 
And if you don't think y'all have struggles, they know that they have struggles because they're in relationship with someone who's not very self-aware. All right, take that loop. All right, there you go. The matrix, there it is. When Jesus comes in and begins to declare himself king over my life, you know one of the things he does? You got to love without demanding to be loved back. Oh, you got to be kidding me. That's impossible in marriage. You cannot do it. Well, I think that. You got to forgive and not make them make restitution. Oh, Jesus, you got to be kidding me. You got to walk into your loneliness instead of avoiding it because Jesus is waiting for you there. You got to put your stress and your fear and your worry up on the table and go, it has become Lord of my life and I've got to learn how to put that down. And Jesus says, yeah, I know that hurts, doesn't it? That's a part of me coming into your life. See, in Ephesians chapter two, this is verse eight and nine. And God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. His kingdom has come. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Everything Jesus is doing toward us now is an expression of the richness of his grace and his kindness, even when it hurts. Even. Because his kingdom's coming. And when I, can, when I can experience that, it always changes that. Always changes my actions. It always does. It always leads me down a different path. In fact, because it changes the game for me. There is a uh, company that started a number of years ago, right after George Floyd was killed, and there were all the protests. Maybe you remember that. And this whole country was in an uproar. And there was a guy who played uh, for the NFL, Justin Watson, who felt like we need to do more than just protest. We actually want to do something that's good for our community. So he got some partners together, and they started the Black Coffee Company. And what's crazy about this, this company is they have dedicated themselves from the beginning to give 25% of all the proceeds to community development. Now, that's all great. You all probably know companies like that. But listen to their mission statement. Spreading joy and inspiring service. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, 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 no. Where's coffee in that mission statement? Where's great coffee in that mission statement? Where's sales? Where's profit margins? Where's treating your employees with respect or whatever? Like, where's all running a business? Here's what happened in these guys' lives. Their mission is to spread joy and inspire service. They just happen to do it through running a coffee company. That's what the kingdom does to us. Because what are we? We're sons and daughters. We're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And we happen to be teachers, moms, doctors, lawyers, sales reps, you know, whatever. We happen to do th these are just vehicles by which we express the fact that we are the kingdom of God on this earth. That's why we need that kind of kindness and grace. Because he's, he's really saying, come on, guys, let's go. Let's go. I got so much more to say, but we're going to come to this table. Because there's a freedom and there's an adventure about knowing, like when Brad came up here on the stage 
if he would have stayed up here the whole time, you would have seen how comfortable it is for you to put my arm over this brother because I love him. And imagine your Jesus saying, you're never going anywhere without me. I'm always going to go before you. I'm always going to come behind you. Why are you afraid? Hey, I'm here. Guess what? I named all the stars in the universe. I've got some power going for me. Let's go. Let's go. Dare to believe that you're mine. Now go live your life like you are mine. Actions. And when you do that, it's going to change the world. I promise you. I promise you. You're going to be a world changer. Let me give you a final example and then we'll come to the table. So every... Uh, year about this time, me and a buddy, we jump on motorcycles and we head to the, the Smoky Mountains or somewhere where there are curves uh, that we can ride motorcycles around and dirt roads and places to camp. And we just love the adventure and because uh, we just love, I don't know, there's something about sitting around a fire at night and not bathing and being covered in dirt. It's just something, I don't know. It's, and we, we like to say, uh, if we can't remember how to be children and play, then we're going to lose something in our lives. So we go and play. And we were in this small town in North Carolina, this mountain town, and we pull into town and there's a sign and it's for a brewery right there in the middle of the town. And it's the end of the day. And we're like, thank you, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> your kingdom has come and now we're taking action. We will change the world. And so we pull in and we sit down and, uh, you know, this is, a brewery that makes all their own beer. And so we order water because we're Christians. And <laughs> so we're sipping the beer and uh, the owner comes out. Now I want you to imagine you're in the high country of North Carolina, backwoods, small town, and your stereotypical image of that guy would be spot on, all right? He comes out in his overalls and he's like, hey fellas, how y'all doing? Where are you from? And I, we're from Nashville. And he goes into this long story of coming to Nashville for a brewer's convention. Do y'all know about this? We're, I guess, evidently a hub. And all the, all the breweries that he went to and visited and all the beer he tasted. And we're like, that's great, that's great, that's great. And I said, man, you, you must love brewing beer. He said, quite honestly, I don't. <laughs> I said, we... He says, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's okay. It's, he says, it's just what I do. Uh, and get this. He goes, uh, yeah, it's all right. Uh, but that's not why I do it. I said, really? And he goes, well, he says, this may be hard for you to believe, but every Thursday morning sitting out here where you're sitting right here are a bunch of my customers and we sit out here uh, every Thursday, and we share our lives with one another. And he said, and guess what? We, we actually talk about our feelings. He said that. He said, we talk about our feelings with one another, just these ruffians, you know, these country boys. And he says, and you know what else we talk about? He said, we talk about Jesus. Um, you guys ever do anything like that? And I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> he is trying to evangelize me. And I'm like, Lord, let me come to know you afresh because I so want this guy. And listen to what happened. Hebrews beer, that's not what he does. He is a son of the high king of heaven. He is on mission with the kingdom of Jesus. And Jesus says, come on, let's go. And Jesus goes, he goes, okay, Jesus, how are we going to do it? Well, you're going to brew beer. 
All right, okay, okay, we're going to revere. And then when people walk into your place, you're going to love them. And then all the townspeople that come in, you're going to meet with them. And you're going to teach them how to love me like you love me. And you're going to show your experience to them. He met Jesus. It changed his life. His life changed. It changed his action. He doesn't brew beer. He's the son of the high king of heaven. And do you think he's changing the world? Yes or no? Yes. You'll never meet him. You'll never know his name. And Jesus doesn't really care about that. Because he cares about him. And he cares about you. So here's what we're going to do today. Um, We're going to come to this table. And this is a table of prayer. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he gave a gift to his disciples to give to us. And that was a holy sacrament. And he said, this body, this this, uh, bread is my body and this cup is my blood so that you will never forget that he gave everything he had so that you could be a part of the kingdom of God. That's his love for you. How great is this love the Father has for you? Remember that so that you can come and bring all your little kingdoms to this table and give it to Jesus. And hang on, because when his kingdom comes, it's going to change you. It's going to mess up your routine. It's going to reorient what's valuable to you. And it's going to take you to life, life to the full. That's what Jesus promises. So the way we do it here is when the band comes back in and you're ready, this is a a prolonged time of worship. It's going to be hard for some of you because we're going to go for like 20 minutes. We're going to sing songs. We're literally making space for you to be with Jesus right now. And when you're ready, come on up. Kneel, stand, lay down on the floor. Whatever you need to do when you come to your Jesus, you do it. Uh, And when you're ready for us to serve you, put your hands out and the servers will serve you. If you'd like for them to pray for you, just cross your chest and they will pray for you. Uh, We serve wine here. And if that's not something that you would like to partake of, in the center of each of the trays, the colored cups are grape juice. Feel free uh, to take advantage of that. So let me just encourage you. Um, If you came to church, uh, it's an event. If you are the church, get ready and listen to what Jesus has for you. And don't disregard it. He's knocking on the door of your life. Open that door into the chaos and mess and watch what he does. Father, we uh, just pause, catch our breath. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave us this prayer. Your kingdom come. Come to us. Meet us. We pray that you take these elements and, Lord, you would use them for your glory by the power of your spirit to remind us of your great love for us, but also to give us courage to proclaim this table over our lives and eradicate fear and worry and take them off this throne of the kingdom of our lives. And Jesus, would you come and reign? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.